Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry's passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mel, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the data space. Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Podcasts. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across Australia to discuss industry's passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mel, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the data space. Today, I'm joined by Jeremiah Mannings, the CDO at Uniting, Abhay Chahan, the Executive Manager of Data Engineering at Quantium, Arjun Sivadasan, the Data Engineering and Analytics Manager at Tau, and Ty Elliott, the Head of Data at Immutable. And we're here to discuss how to manage a data team within a growing company. Before we delve deeper into this topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Jerry, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Thanks, Mel. Um, my name's Jeremiah. So I am currently the CDO at Uniting. So um, I've just started this role, which has been a whirlwind so far, um, and looking after a team there to kind of take their, their data platforms into to the next step. Um, my background's in consulting, having been at uh, PwC prior, Capgemini before that, and then a few places before that. So what I specialize in is uh, data platforms, in particular data science platforms, um, as well as building and scaling teams. So looking forward to our chat today. Amazing. Abhay. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, my name is Abhay Chauhan. I've been with uh, Quantium for the last six years. Uh, I have uh, about 12 to 13 years of experience in data space, and I'm currently looking after the data engineering practice at Quantium. It's uh, about a team of 25 to 30 engineers and analysts uh, combined. I'm really passionate about uh, sustainable uh, data platforms and I really love working with people. It energizes me and I really look forward to chatting to you all. Fantastic. Ab- uh, um, sorry, Arjun. Hi, well, thanks. Um, I'm Arjun. I work for Tal Australia as a data platform manager. I lead a team of data engineers and other data specialists. I've been working in technology and predominantly in data for nearly 15 years and leading teams for the last five years or so. I'm quite passionate about leadership in general and also coaching. Um, When I'm not working on technologies, I like to ride my motorbike and I also like lifting heavy objects. I love it. Excellent. Now, last but not least, Ty. Hey guys, um, so I'm Ty Elliott. I um, head up data at a company called Immutable. So we're a Web3 company with a specific focus on Web3 games. Um, I've been at Immutable for almost a year um, and really enjoying that. Um, My background is um, as an engineer before transitioning into data science and then I transitioned over um, more into the management side of things. what I'm passionate about, uh, I really love uh, supporting the team, you know, building the team, helping them to grow. And um, I think we all love data. I think that's why we're here. <laughs> and outside of work, I love um, I love sailing. So I've done a lot of sailing through my life. Um, nowadays, it's mostly just for fun. And it's actually something called wing foiling, which is, um, yeah, a, a good fun way to get away from the computer. Um, I think that's about me. Thank you. Awesome. Now, guys, I've been really excited about this topic. I've been looking forward to to having you on board all week. The topic we have is how to manage a data team within a growing company. Now, Jerry, I would love for you to kick off with our first question. And that question is, what are some effective ways that leaders can promote work-life balance amongst high-performing teams? And how can they model this balance themselves? Interesting question, Mel. Um it's interesting because you've got a couple of, of, of assets that have facets there right so modeling yourself is is a whole other topic other than setting expectation and running through it from a team perspective so I think um, to deal with the first part first the expectations is a very important thing so I think particularly when you have high performing people um, you need to be very clear on what tasks are important to the business not just to them inside of their roles right so um, you know reflecting on my own experience and having 
having high performance within teams before. If you don't give very clear guidance on what is actually important, they tend to burn themselves out on doing a lot of things all at once and things that might not necessarily be helping them, their career and the business as well. So those expectations will be the number one thing. And I, I think it, it's the same question for yourself, right? So you have to know how you need to be performing and not be taking everything on and, you know, over-prioritizing yourself constantly. Um, so setting that expectation through actually doing the work is the hard part, right? You know, as leaders, we tend to have a lot of things thrown onto our plates that we need to sort out. But the way that you set that example is, is very important. Um, and I think there's another element to it on even mental models around how you approach these sorts of things. So actually being very deliberate around your 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 prioritization framework and being very deliberate around what um, work-life balance means to you. So for some people, that's that's very different. And I think this comes yeah. to the diversity elements of teams as well, right? Um, depending on the elements of who you have in the team, work-life balance is very different. That's another thing to think of. I'm great to hear from everybody else on that point as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and Sherry, you're, you're leading into our, our next question as well about that gender diversity. Let's, so let's keep a hold of that as well. Uh, who would like to jump in and, and further comments? I'll jump in, yeah, if that's all right. So yeah, really great point, Jerry. And I, I think like there's two uh, parts to this question. So I'll focus on the, like as a leader, what what can we do at the team level uh, to promote work-life balance and sustainability at work. So um, I think the way I try to look at it is recognizing patterns uh, for your team. So there's always a time like peak time and troughs uh, in a team so what uh, we can do is utilize the troughs uh, effectively so we can use that time which is like you don't you're not working on like a high pressure highly visible high value uh, project or deal commitment at that time we can really use that time to focus on lnd uh, addressing the tech debt uh, you know getting rid of distractions for the team which will affect uh when we come to the crunch time and you know work-life balance is usually affected when you are focusing on one thing but are also getting pulled into a lot of different directions so you have to you know deal with all the urgent and important stuff but also you know deliver on the commitments so using those troughs is i think really important and uh one other thing that i have been focusing on in the last one to two years is basically iterating on the speed to value so whether you you know invest your time in doing pocs or sharpening the saw or whatever uh reusable components you can build as a team that will help you during those peak crunch times so that's that's one way uh, i think to look at it and the other way uh at it like during peak times you really want you know the team to be focused on delivering value and we really need to make sure that there are only a couple of peaks per year and those peaks should be just a couple of weeks long it shouldn't be uh you know like a year-long marathon uh, sprint for them it should be a marathon uh, where we sprint uh every now and then so that's uh yeah that's one of the observations learning yeah. from my side absolutely ty i would love to get your opinion on this awesome thank you so i absolutely agree on the expectations i i, I think you set the right expectations with the business you set the right expectations with uh, you know the people in your team now the Around the expectations, there's a whole load of things to do. I think it's absolutely critical that you you actually stick to those expectations. It's There's no point in saying, I want you to have a great work-life balance and then overloading people. You set the processes in place to actually enable that work-life balance. There, there's also something that I think is really critical, which is the psychological safety of being able to say, I don't have a good work-life balance. I'm overloaded. I think often when people have a poor work-life balance, they don't feel that they can actually speak up and say, I'm, I'm slammed, I, I need some help. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's really important. And as a, as a leader of a team, I think it's also really important just to observe the way that your team is actually operating. Absolutely. Can, can, can you see them online late at night? Yeah. In in Slack, we can schedule messages, which is a polite way to send messages late at night. 
are people doing a lot of scheduling eh, they're probably overloaded so yeah. it's um you know a, a lot of just observing the little things and then having good discussions about it um in a psychologically safe environment absolutely absolutely arjun please add on yeah thanks Rob. so i echo um a lot of the comments shared by other panel members i feel like as leaders it's important to have good ourselves right so this could be as ty mentioned don't send emails late in the night right um i often get to my emails late in the night but what i do is i take advantage of technology and schedule the reply for early morning right so probably 8:30 by the morning so technology gives you that edge so use it and other things um don't throw items at your team members at the last moment without giving them sufficient notice and this is reflecting on what Jeremy said as well right it's uh, as leaders we do get a lot of influx of intel and requests um so it's up to us to filter that and feed it appropriately to the team um it's also worth connecting with your team and asking them what does good work life balance look like to you say for instance do you want to drop off kids in the morning and come an hour late to work does that work for you or do you want to leave early and then pick your kid from daycare so you need to figure out each person's situation is different so you need to have a conversation with your team to understand what matters to them and work towards it it's needless to say that without support from management it's not really possible yeah. to um, cultivate a good work life balance and uh, that's where you know a strong leadership makes a big difference absolutely absolutely now jerry i would love for you to add on a little bit into our next question i know you've got a really amazing example of this what actionable steps can you take to increase gender diversity within data teams and how can companies ensure that these steps are effective and sustainable right so um with this it's 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 i think it's important to to roll back and start with the why right so why do and it's it's not a loaded question right it's a, it's a genuine question that helps you frame exactly how you go about this i think the going about diversity you need to be deliberate and you need to make sure that you're taking steps towards it exactly what we're talking about it right um so to define the why so that i mean for the why that i've defined for a lot of my teams is because i've seen my teams get better value out of having diversity of thought diversity of genders diversity of experiences diversity of backgrounds all these type of things it extends to so many areas and i think when you start to look at gender diversity in particular you have to be very honest with the market and go it is harder to find females in data that are readily available to hire um and i can get them next month right so it's a, it's a string of things that make life a little bit difficult so then you've got to go is my team in a position where i can onboard and upskill different backgrounds so maybe i'm not looking from a traditional stem background like i would be for a data engineer usually right can i transition people across from different areas and actually bring out the value that they bring to that conversation and really have that that um those steps there so i think it's like a lot of these questions it's it's introspection right so where do you start as a leader do you understand your own motivations and how do you plan around that um and i think um I think I've mentioned before around the um you know having leadership involved as well right gender diversity is no different without some sort of mandate from your leadership and some sort of ability to make that happen these steps are harder to implement than just going to the market and finding whether you can uh, but it is well worth it so I think for for my personal example the last couple of teams that I've built have been um 50% or over 50% gender balance um which took deliberate steps right like it's not something you can just walk into and 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 make happen and i think um I, I both focus from my side and from management side was to have that and we saw great benefits from it and since some high performing teams that we didn't have beforehand because we focused on those sorts of things so it's well worth the effort but there is effort involved i think that's the cool thing to point out yeah absolutely i agree i'd love to get your opinion tied coming from more of a, a startup and scale up perspective what's your opinion on this question so I think I mentioned that my previous role was at the Iconic which is yeah. an online fashion store. I can tell you it's a lot easier in online fashion to get um diverse people into your team than it is in a web3 crypto um, startup scale up kind of scenario. Um I'm going to be honest, it's actually challenging. Um what um what so fortunately for us 
company leadership has a very strong mandate um, to be gender diverse. Um, it's it's really really awesome to have that support. Um, now, what we actually do is we are very clear that we are looking for a diverse candidate um, for a role, and we will first try to fill it with a diverse candidate. Yep. If after a while of looking we can't find it, then we'll you know go elsewhere. But um, it to me it's just important to be very specific in looking for that diverse candidate um now there's obviously a bunch of um you know unconscious biases that come into it really need to um you know factor those into the hiring process um yeah yeah i think by um having the you know the, the, the the conscious effort to go and hire a diverse candidate one of the things that you do is often diverse candidates will undersell themselves that that they'll be a lot more team focused so the team did this the team did that and not not actually selling themselves as much and if you're putting them up against um not diverse candidates um then they're they're not going to actually be coming up to the top of that pile necessarily if you're comparing them like for like yeah jerry did you have a question yeah, I just wanted to add on to that. It was a super valuable point, Ty. I think um, the step further to that as well is, is representation. So um, we did some experimentation in some hiring because I've done far too much of it at this point, um, where depending on who you have in your interviews, you get different responses from particular candidates. So the point on um, articulating yourself differently in a CV, we found that the more representation you have in the interview, you get less of that and you get more of the actual, right? Because if you feel more comfortable with someone like yourself on the interview panel you're much more likely to talk and express what you're talking about that's just wanted to add that in the end there absolutely i could not agree more arjun i'd love to get your opinion on this yeah it's a great point right um so who doesn't want diversity no one everyone wants diversity right because that's the world and that's how the world works and i totally echo jerry's and uh, ty's statement that it's hard to find diverse candidates right, in data and uh, data engineering and analytics. So there are a few ways to work around it. Like if you look at Tal, Tal is great for diversity. We do have a whole heap of uh, female leaders. Our CIO is a female. So, you know, Tal has a really good culture where uh, gender diversity is really promoted. Um, I would really look up to steps like, you know, segments and promoting segments as well as uh, promoting internships to nurture talent for the future, because I do feel that even with best intentions, the talent pool is not as good as we would like it to be to promote gender diversity right now. But we need need to invest for the future, right? Like say two years from now, three years from now, what do you want uh, a diverse team to look like and start putting in some actions to make that happen. Absolutely. Now I know Abhay, I know Quantium absolutely does this. I'd love to get further opinion on it. Yeah. So one of the steps, so I think everyone has raised really good points. I'll not repeat them. Uh, one of the steps we can take to improve the gender diversity is look at the funnel of candidates coming in at all level. So uh, see, I think at the end, it comes down to numbers games, right? Like if you're interviewing 90% of male candidates, it's going to be quite obvious that you'll end up with a male candidate. So uh, so you need to look at the funnel of candidates coming in. At, uh, and it's, I think I would agree with everyone else. It's quite uh, difficult, I think, to get uh, like really diverse funnel at uh, more senior and uh, more senior and more experience level. But what we can absolutely focus on and invest in, like all the uh, organizations have some sort of grads or internship program so at that level we can definitely uh, implement the gender diversity quotas and you know make sure we probably over index uh, so that we have a much more uh, you know balanced team later on and these are the people who would be the next generation of seniors and leads and you know growing into the organization so that's one of the things uh, that Quantium really focuses on is you know getting that funnel right right at the junior level and that is what has helped you know uh, create an improved gender diversity balance within the teams 
Absolutely. Now, Abhay, you're doing so well. I would love for you to kick off our next question. What are some effective ways to assess team culture and how can you identify negative aspects of a team culture that need to be addressed? So for this one, I think there's two aspects to the questions. There's like, how do you assess team culture? So I think uh, one of the more obvious way is just looking at the engagement or participation during team meetings. Like if you, you know, walk into a room or whether it's a virtual room or a physical room, doesn't matter. If you feel it's very low energy, there's not many people participating and then you uh, see that trend continuing, then you can see there's probably something uh, not right with the team culture. It can be either, you know, uh, there's few toxic personalities who take control and don't uh, let uh, other people speak. And I think that uh, goes back to what uh, like a, a point that Ty mentioned earlier, psychological safety. If people feel like it's not a safe space to voice their opinions, people will, you know, hold back and not contribute or participate. So I think that's one really effective way to see how the team culture is. Another uh, effective way is uh, using anonymous service. So you can send out surveys quarterly, completely anonymized. You have some very simple, basic questions, four or five, something which just takes five minutes so that everyone participates and it's not like a chore. And then also taking actions on the back of it. When you see something is not right uh, at the team level, then, you know, doing a sort of team meeting on the back of the survey results, going through it as a team and, you know, identifying this other problems that we have as a team how do we you know take to tackle them and take them on what's the priority and you know what are the options and you know getting the team involved in this this is you know for the entire uh, team so it shouldn't be driven by one or two person you should have really good participation from everyone in the team absolutely ty i i actually like to look at a lot of things in business from the, the sailing perspective now if you look at a bunch of boats that are all racing what you actually notice is the highest performers they have excellent communication but it's not over communication it's exactly the right amount of communication in order to convey whatever needs to be conveyed they really trust each other so everybody on the team trusts each other to do what is needed they work as a team and they never blame each other they're all working towards the same goal and they all tend to sail together for an extended period of time. So they, they stick together. Now, if you actually look at the teams that are not performing as well, they rarely exhibit all of these. And if you think about your team, assessing the culture is how well are they working together as a team? Do they blame each other? Are they working towards the same thing? Um, now, in order to identify problems, for me, there's kind of two things. Um, first of all, as um, Abhay mentioned, does the team, how does the team interact as a group? Then also asking questions in one-on-ones. So, you know, specific targeted questions and diving into things in one-on-ones is an awesome way to figure out how the team is actually operating. Um, uh, Abhe also mentioned um, the, the survey. So we do reasonably regular um, employee MPS surveys, and I find those to be really, really valuable to, to find out what are those what are those things that you might have actually missed in your one-on-ones or in other discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jerry, would you like to add on? Yeah, there's, 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 I think Ty has covered a, a lot of a lot of points there. I think I would add a few little things on the end that kind of extend those comments around the communication piece. I think, I mean, this is one of the core things you do as a leader, right? So understanding how your team's working um, and the introspection piece, are you causing some of these problems? Uh, because as a leader, you often set the standard, right? Um, so step one, look inside. <laughs> step two is um, follow on from there. So I think one of the things that I've found has had a lot of impact is leading with vulnerability, right? So let's say I do look inside and I go, look, I'm I'm sending you emails at 8pm, I'm half the problem, right? So you be very open and honest with people about that because sometimes people don't always 
always understand that, you know, I went for a walk at 5 p.m. for two hours, and that's why I'm sending you an, an email at 8 p.m. So being vulnerable and, and empathetic about the problem is very, um, very, goes a long way. And I think following on from what Ty said in the one-on-ones and the structured questioning as well, I think it's, it's really developing your empathy as a leader. And as you move forward through leadership and you learn these skills, particularly like for myself, I'm from a technical background right so when I first started you'd you'd lock me in a room with a laptop and then talk to me eight hours later so there was a lot of empathy that needed to be developed Uh, but you definitely it's a skill you can work on and as a leader it's one of your most important skills so you can start to get a sense about what people aren't saying in these conversations ask them some very direct and awkward questions and as a leader it's your job to be as awkward as possible as much of the time right because you need to get things out of the people that they can't say and that's getting you get some really interesting kind of viewpoints from there and uh, that on top of the sort of things that you guys mentioned prior around really kind of understanding how to get those things out of surveys discussions all of that it really comes hand in hand yeah absolutely now Arjun I would love for you to kick off our next question as a leader in data how can one if how can one effectively implement and monitor growth and development aspirations for their team members? It's a great question, Mel, and um, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Generally, uh, I, I believe that there's infinite potential in everyone, right? Um, not just data people. Uh, data people are obviously smarter, <laughs> but, you know, um, there's infinite potential in everyone. And... It's such a shame if some of that potential goes untapped. So personally for me, I like to get a feeling of headed in the right direction. Um, I don't like so much spinning wheels, going around in circles. That causes me stress. So I don't really want that. And um, that's the, it's the same for most people. Right? When I start working with the team, it's all about getting to understand my team members. And oftentimes um, that takes time, but you know, kick off that process by having uh, one-on-one catch-ups, right? Personal catch-ups where um, it's in a semi-casual setting, so you don't normally talk about work, reflect on you know how things have been going, but also talk about what are your aspirations, what's your family situation like, and stuff like that. Um, then it's about understanding what people want to be. Um, so I usually ask uh, folks, where do you see yourself three years from now? It's a, it's a cliche question, but it gives you a general indication of has ha, have they already thought about it? Do they have some plans for it? So some some folks already um, are doing certifications to achieve their goals. And then it's a matter of reflecting on those and asking them some follow-up questions about, do you think this certification is the right one to get you to a goal? Um, I also find that with some people, they, they do want to um, target a specific goal. For instance, some of our data engineers, they want to be data architects in the future. But as I work with them, I really find that they are probably um, more suitable for a technical manager or a people manager like me. So I've been a very reluctant uh, people manager myself, right? So when I started off, like I was very technical. And uh, when some of my bosses suggested that you'll be good at managing people, I was like, uh, I don't really want to do that, right? But um, eventually I trusted their judgment because I thought they were smarter than me. And uh, I just decided to go for it. So sometimes over time, like when you spend time with people, you can understand um, their aptitude and their strengths, which they don't see themselves. So you spot that in them and then you're able to recommend to them, maybe you should try this different approach or try to specialize in a specific area. And um, don't force it on people, just try and, you know, introduce that thought, let it simmer for a while follow up in a couple of weeks, see how they're traveling and if they are coming around to the idea. So I do have some people in my team who were very reluctant about managing teams, but now are considering that. So yeah, so it's a good way to, you know, nudge them in a different direction. And all this um, have to go hand in hand with our organizational needs and priorities for skills, right? So oftentimes we know what are the initiatives that are in the um, planning phase and what sort of new skills does the team need to be able to deliver those initiatives. And we just plan and prioritize definitely those skills because uh, that's what delivers the most value for business. Yeah, absolutely. Some great advice there for sure. Abhay, do you want to add on? Yeah, uh, I think uh, Arjun has really covered a lot of great points. I think just a few 
things to add from my uh, my side is we really have to uh, look at individuals uh, circumstances what ticks them you know what motivates them and really uh, you know ask some questions during one on one to understand how they are as a person and what are their aspirations once we have an understanding like uh and one thing that i always tell everyone that i have managed is um you know the onus of one's growth is in their hands you will have a lot of mentors and support from various people not just me there's you know multiple avenues to get the support and help you need uh, but you really need to drive your own career if you need any guidance there's a lot of mentors to look up to whether it's your manager your manager's manager or someone else in the business or one outside of the organization so always look for uh, mentors and then once uh, somebody is uh, in charge of their own career and growth like it's easy to have those conversations like what are your short term goals what are your long term goals like arjun was mentioning like you know asking that questions about where do you see yourself in 3 years that really helps craft a plan for them it's like this is what they are trying to learn and uh, these are the kind of skills that they would want to focus on and then for us as a leader i think it's matching uh, opportunities and aspirations so that comes down to us where you know we know in the business what are the different opportunities and pieces of work on the go and then we really need to identify okay this opportunity will be fit for this person because they're aspiring towards this and uh, and one other thing which i found really uh, helpful in terms of just framing how someone goes about learning a new skill is uh, you know that 70 20 10 rule so uh, 70% true experience right putting people on uh, in the situations where they are trying to learn the new skill where they get the maximum opportunity whether it's a new language or leadership skill or a management skill time management whatever right so we're putting them in the positions where they get the uh opportunity and experience to pick up a new skill the next 20% is exposure so i think this is where you know looking for mentors and talking to people networking things like that come into play and the last 10% is formal education like you know we watching all the uh uh tutorials and reading blogs and things like that so that is like uh, and this is the point i wanted to highlight like the formal education piece is very small you really need hands on experience to pick up something and get good at it like watching tutorials only gets you so far i think it just introduces you to the concept but doesn't make you good at it so we really need to put that in practice yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more jerry would you like to add on Yeah, I think you've covered a lot of things there. Um, but there's also the, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to do, but sometimes you've got to treat people's growth and ambition as not constrained within what you can provide them. And that's a very kind of coded way of saying sometimes you're not always the best fit for what they need, right? Your team is not the yeah. best fit. Maybe you can't provide that. Maybe you can provide some of it, but um, and I think this applies more to larger organisations, like you know people transferring across teams. It's a, a totally normal and should be a thing that you support readily, right? I've had both experiences coming in and going out of doing that sort of thing. It's um, you you need to see them off with a smile and, and hope that they can get the right thing in the right place, right? I think that's really important as you go through, and it creates a lot of trust within the team as well. And you need to trust them to do the right thing in that regard. Um, but there's also the people that um I think just just building on top of what you said it's um there's people that express an ambition but don't necessarily know how to go about um implementing any steps or changes through that and sometimes as a leader you've got to kind of force them into it and I use force in a very nice way not in a bad way but I can't think of a better word um force as in like um so to give you an example um I had uh, someone in my team that wanted to learn how to present to um you know boards and more senior stakeholders and all of that so I dropped them in a few meetings and then let them present and I didn't tell them on that they were going to present when they started and it's a great way to learn and obviously you've got to pick environments that are safe and yeah. that you know 
know if like I'm, I'm not going to make them present the whole thing but it's hey there's a slide can you present this one and give them some sort of small context where they can do it and I think as a leader you need to take it back seat sometimes because the thing that I keep in my mind is if my team is doing well I'm doing well and that's about my only metric so you don't need to put your name on anything you don't need to be the front of anything you need to support and get people out in front of those things and create those opportunities and ultimately it would reflect better on the whole team and those people get those opportunities to do those things that are really interesting um and that can be hard to do for some leaders like to be honest like for me it was hard to do at the start i had to learn how to do that right it's it's not something that is is never innate to kind of give up all that spotlight all of the time so people can can shine but when you do it you really see a huge change in your team and people are more willing to to stand up and do things and actually have you know take those opportunities and, and follow them follow them through so it's um worth thinking about in terms of um, monitoring in that development um, but I think monitoring is I'd, I'd love to hear from the group some some sort of insights on the actual monitoring and, and KPIs around it because that can be a tricky thing in a lot of different organizations and um, maybe from the, the the startup side Ty how would you go about kind of understanding what that looks like for growth so I actually did have something to say but it's not really on the monitoring so I absolutely believe in the the growth is the individual's responsibility and what we're there to do is to enable them and guide them, help them to discover where they actually need to get to, or where they want to get to and help them to get there. Now, um, one of the things that hasn't been mentioned so far is the, I have worked in some larger organizations historically and Getting any type of training, I'm talking the formal training side of things here, you've got to jump through insane hoops to get there. You know, you've got like a department training budget and it actually only covers like a quarter of the department. Actually making it really easy for people to, you know, whatever, whatever education they, they want to get, no questions asked, just go and do it and then you are going to grow as a person is awesome. So um, I, I think this comes more at a um, organization level, but so at Immutable, everybody has up to $2,000 of money. That you go and spend it every year on training. All you do is you just submit, a, um, submit an expense claim. Um, and I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, um, uh, yeah on the... Coming back to Jerry's question around the KPIs and the monitoring, I think in startup land, things move so rapidly that it can be a little bit challenging to monitor and really track an individual's growth where in a larger organization where, look, it's a lot more, um, a lot more steady, doesn't move quite as rapidly. I think it's probably a little bit easier to actually track the growth of um, team members. I'd love to hear from somebody in a larger um, organization on that. I can jump in. Uh, so the way I have been implementing monitoring for a team's development plan is, uh, so we, we have this organizational pro process of setting up objectives and we really uh, try and break it down into like you have an objective for our entire year, but you break it down into like sizable uh, no, uh, bite-sized chunks so that it's easy to uh, focus on them and I think one thing that we all would agree on is we are highly agile now things change so rapidly whether it's uh, in startup land or in you know big organizations because everyone's uh, following the agile methodology and plans change so quickly you know teams have to pivot at a very short notice from one thing to the other and we have done that so many times so i think you know being very flexible in terms of like setting up the objectives and then uh, the next part about measuring is like what does success look like just you know sitting down uh with your team members and then you know uh setting the right expectations it's like when you say you would learn python or you would learn spark what does that actually mean you know what does success look like? How would you measure it? You know, 
So things like that. So uh, once you have agreed on those things and, you know, you uh, stay on top and uh, bring up those conversations regularly in your one-on-ones and then, you know, keep tweaking the objective as the situation changes, I think that's a good way of uh, going about, you know, monitoring and measuring uh, growth. Absolutely. Arjun, would you like that one? Yes. Um, so interesting responses from everyone. I was um, um, quite um, happy to hear that, you know, everyone is trying to um, bring out the best from their team. Um, so as a manager, right, so there is a uh, distinct pivot in your career when you're no longer an individual contributor, technically contributing. So you're no longer the superstar, right? It is an aha moment for a manager that, as Jerry said earlier, uh, if you give your team opportunities to present, for instance, and you take a step back, right, and give them the limelight, that's a great way to actually motivate them and uh, give them some confidence. And that can go a really long way uh, to motivate a team. So I'm really glad to hear that. Absolutely. Now, Ty, I would love to go for our, our final question today. I relate to this a lot, so I'm really excited to get everyone's opinion on this. How do you balance allocating resources to exciting and innovating projects versus addressing critical but potentially less glamorous tasks within the data team? Ty, kick us off. Awesome. So, look, I'm not particularly keen on the term AI. Right. There's a lot of hype and buzz, buzz around that at the moment. But so uh, within data, machine learning, I'm going to use machine learning, right? Not not AI. Um, machine learning is kind of the, the, the glamour area. Um, and often what you do is you have, you know, junior data scientists or mid-level data scientists. All they want to do is go and build the most amazing model that solves some problem. And look, that's... That's great. However, a lot of the work that a data team actually works on is actually not that glamorous. It's not that sexy. You know, you're dealing with rubbish data, you know, you're plowing through this stuff and it's just, it's not, it's not that exciting. So to me, the the, the question is, how do we balance the, the growth and the learning and the excitement of the um, you know the machine learning, all, all of the really glamorous stuff, with the stuff that you actually have to do to keep the business running, um, and yet for me it actually does come back a little bit to the growth question that we just had, which is you know you, you want to feed some of the exciting stuff, but not all. Everyone still needs to work on the less sexy stuff um uh, i don't have a brilliant answer to it except trying to find a balance there i would love to hear from others um, on that i can jump in i think this one uh is really close to my heart currently because it uh has come up i think a week ago with my team and so the way i put it is we have new shiny shiny and keeping the lights on two categories of work so new shiny shiny i think it's ml all the new stuff you know doing uh streaming those kind of things like everyone wants to work on that and everyone's you know it's like put me there put me there put me there and then then keeping the lights on which is like the most critical thing i think for a business when you have uh you know things that you have developed as a business whether it's product or services or solutions like need to make sure it keeps functioning and for data team i think that's the most important thing making sure the data is there every single time within the sla so i think that's a big part of our job as a uh, uh, data professionals uh, and i think uh, one of the things uh, that was recently uh, in my conversations was devops word and i think like it's a buzzword now but i think we as data professionals we are always doing devops from the get-go i think uh even 12 years ago when i used to see the uh job adwords like there was always a component of you know you need to uh support the system out of us or things like that so even when you know devops wasn't a sexy buzzword like we were always doing that so i think there's uh i think uh, this new shiny shiny and keeping the lights on that striking that balance uh for data team is really 
are important and one of the ways we have tried to uh, strike that balances and this really works when you know you have a team of certain size and it's an enduring team which has stayed there for a long time and has like single focus or you know people who are across the system that they're working on so in that case what we can do is probably have uh, like 20 or 30 percent of teams capacity allocated just on uh, you know keeping the lights on it can be on a rotational basis where everyone in the team does one sprint of BAU keeping the lights on type of work and then they rotate out and do the new shiny shiny kind of work so that's one way of trying to address that but like I said like doesn't work for uh, everyone all the teams all the organization uh, and uh, I think like uh, in small more uh, diversity with a lot of different uh, kind of responsibility a lot of different processes where it's just one or two people who have the skills or expertise to support any kind of work so for that one I, I think it's uh, it goes back to the point that I was raising we as a leader need to recognize those peaks and troughs and then utilizing the troughs and making sure we get more people across uh, certain critical systems so that it's not just one person who gets called into that whenever something falls over and they're like you know uh, I hate this like I was really having a fun time working on my new shiny ML model but now I have to go and fix a bug in a 10 year old process that no one else knows about so you know utilizing those kind of opportunities when we have some downtime so that uh, you know people get the opportunities that they're looking for absolutely great advice Jerry please yeah um, there's some some really interesting points in there I think there's a in data, there can be a really big disconnect um, between the more advanced things um, and people working on them and then producing any value at all, right? So <laughs> a lot of the times, like, you're doing these things and you're not actually producing value, but that doesn't have to be true, right? So I think where one of the things that I implemented in a prior team is we had um, every every five sprints, you would get a um, research sprint right but a research sprint was to play with something fun on an existing use case and problem that we had with a defined outcome and the defined outcome was i need an overview of why you're trying to solve it why you're trying to solve it with this method and b a bit of code that i can run right so they're the two things you got to be able to do right and what happened out of that is a it was a bit of um time for people to play around on new and interesting methods but b they had to build something defined out of it that solved a business problem at the end of the day that had to happen and what ended up happening is we started using parts of that research squad as our backlog because we would discover very interesting things by using advanced methods on these problems we might not implement all of the advanced method that we did but out of the two things we tried we might use one of them right so as long as you're tying that experimentation time to something that matters to the business it's do it as much as you want right but you've really got to be deliberate about that and to the point where that research sprint had a template like you would put in any other sprint right it's exactly the same but just just free for all on 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 solving problems with machine learning isn't going to net you anything right and those skills are not going to be useful because they're not pointed towards a problem so i think um as others have said, you've got to keep the lights on. Um, and if you think of data more as a product, it's like you can't let Facebook go down for more than 30 seconds. Data is pretty much the same to a lot of core functions. So you can treat it like that, but allocating time to do fun things with value attached is the important thing. Um, so that's what I found from from testing dozens of okay. different approaches to doing this. So that tends to work pretty well. Amazing. Uh, Arjun, please add on. Yeah, so I would echo the same sentiment. Um, working on new things is everyone's preference, right? So if you don't really have the scope for that within your business initiatives at the moment, um, it, it's good to have a research sprint or perhaps have hackathons. So at that, we have uh, hackathons every three months and interested parties can, you know, form groups and they can uh, present their hackathon project and, you know, uh, present their findings at the end of the hackathon. So this is really a cool way to solve existing problems in the business and actually think outside the box. So definitely adds value. But going back to what Abe was saying, uh, there are different approaches for handling and managing, you know, work that is not that fashionable. 
So you can have um, people taking turns or you can have a designated person just taking care of support work, which is the worst option because that person would over time become very unhappy, right? Uh, personally, what I really like is to, um, in the true sense of agile scrum, right? Let the team self-organize and figure out who wants to do what. And if they're a fair team, they will take turns. They'll put their hand up and say, okay, I want to do this. Uh, because, you know, this other person took care of it the last time, I want to pay it forward, right? And uh, I'd really like to cultivate that sort of feeling for each other, empathy for each other in the team. Because end of the day, if you have a fair team, that is a happy team. And I really like it when people take care of each other in the team that really breeds, um, you know, friendliness and trust. So, yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, other responses on this uh, question. And um, I think yeah, we all agree on the same. Yeah, amazing. Does anyone want to add any further comments? I think we talked about what works, trying to balance innovative, exciting versus uh, critical but less glamorous. I think we should talk about what doesn't work as well. I think it's equally important. Uh, so one of the things uh, that you know, I've tried in the past, which didn't go well, was trying to separate the ops part from development. So, you know, trying to separate new shiny shiny from, uh, you know, keeping the lights on and having a separate team just for keeping the lights on. I think the problem with that is it's just, you know, not an exciting uh, job for anyone to do like even if we try and get some remote teams in or contractors all of that I think it's an area with a high turnover low retention low energy and it's just like not set up uh, for success in that way so I think like we really have to share that load of you know keeping the lights on and doing the new shiny shiny I think that's you know once you get the balance right and you know what Arjun was saying you know having fair trustworthy uh you know team members to work with who would make sure you know no one's actually pulling some you know all lighters or extra weight to keep the lights on and everyone else is just having fun and working on the new shiny so yeah i think like separating it out might sound lucrative but uh in my opinion it's very hard to make that work yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think another thing on the, that as well, things you get wrong, is trying to solve, trying to lead with technology, right? You go, we want to do machine learning, and then you try and figure out the problem. It just never works, right? It's it's so difficult to get buy-in because once you actually do it, they go, oh well, we don't actually need this. Like, if the machine learning's cool, but the, the problem doesn't actually exist. So it, it's really um, treat machine learning as toolkit and to be honest in the last 10 years i mean i've been doing data science for quite a long time now it's really easy now compared to what it was 10 years ago there is so many easy ways to do data science it is another tool in the tool set that can be applied to the right problems what is really important though is making sure your people are aware of when it's the right tool to use and that's where the education piece comes in and making sure you're fitting the right tool to the to the use case so. absolutely does anyone want to add any further comments? I absolutely love that last part about understanding the problem, making sure it's the right tool for the problem. Um, so yeah, really, really love that. Amazing. Oh, I'd love to thank all my guests today for joining us on the podcast and we will see you next time.